Oh, you're doing that just to be different. You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome back to The Worship Review, the podcast which critically and charitably examines the text of songs sung in the church. My name is Tyler. I am a linguist and I'm joined by my co-host, Colin. Hello, I'm Colin. I am a historian. And today we're taking a look at a song called Creator of the Stars of Night. Um, Colin, you suggested this song. What brought this song to your attention? Okay, so I, my wife and I were just driving in the car, and um, she listens to the best music ever. Uh, all of the songs that she listens to, I like and think they're great. And she was, and and I heard like five seconds of this song, and I was like, "What?" I did a double take in the car, and I, you know, we were doing Christmas songs, and I thought, "Oh man, we gotta we gotta talk about this song." I had not read any of the other lyrics or anything until preparing for this episode, but I'm kind of glad that. Um, we're doing this song because it is a it's a pretty fascinating song. So the version that we're looking at is by High Street Hymns, but this song has a lengthy and complicated history. Yes, multiple different iterations and versions. So it'll be exciting to go through the lyrics here. Oh, by the way, let me say something. So High Street Hymns, I had never heard of them. This is like, I think, not unlike, uh, what was that band? What's the what's the RUF? Indelible band? Grace. What is it? Indelible Grace. This just reminds me kind of of Indelible Grace. So these guys came out of or or folks. I don't. There probably some gals in there too. Um, came out of the Anglican College Ministry at the University of Virginia. So that's who these people are. And if you look at uh, the YouTube video, the lyric video for this song, "Creator of the Stars of Night," it looks very similar to Indelible Grace videos from 10 years ago and it sounds very similar as well so i don't know who influenced who but there's there's some interesting similarities yeah i think there was a kind of awakening a decade and a half ago or so uh in which people started to you know i think as high street hymns puts it uh reclaim old hymns and really dust off these old hymnals and dig into the texts. Yeah. Although this one would be a hard one to to reclaim, as you say, because it starts out, as far as I could tell, as a Latin hymn in the late antique period. What we might say is the late, late antique period. So, you know, around just before the turn of the first millennium AD, it gets altered by Pope Urban VIII, in 1632, and then it gets translated into English by a Church of England Anglican minister, J.M. Neal, in 1852. And there's more going on than just that. I mean, if you look at different versions of this song over just even the last 50 years, there, there are some substantial differences. Whole verses that are in some hymnals and not in others, different words that are changed. And I, I'd like to, fo I'll, eventually we can focus on some of those because I think there's some really interesting decisions that have been made in this version, both what to include and what to exclude 
But I don't know, Tyler, is there more to the history than just what I've said? Wait, I mean, I was looking also into the translator's history. So John Mason Neal was a, a minister, as you mentioned, in the 19th century in England. And he was involved in the uh, Oxford controversy, uh, which saw a lot of Anglican Church of England uh, ministers really seriously considering re-reforming the church to look more like the uh, Roman Catholic Church. And John Henry Newman was one of the leaders of this movement, ultimately became uh, Catholic himself and, and held office in the Catholic Church after that. And so, Oh, so he did cross over. I didn't find that. That's interesting. Not, not the translator, but um, John Henry Newman did, this, the leader of this movement. And so I think it's it's not accidental that uh, John Mason Neal, who translated this hymn from Latin uh, and translated many hymns from Latin and Greek into English, um, did so at the time in which he did it, because I think a lot of people at that time were looking into uh, older they, – they were looking for older traditions in the church uh, a few centuries after the Reformation. And the Catholic Church was itself uh, trying to reassert both political power in Italy uh, and was struggling to do so, and also was was making some serious changes to its doctrine. So it, two years after this song is translated, you get uh, the Immaculate Conception becomes dogma in 1854. So there's there's a lot going on. There's this is this is a song which has a long history, but clearly uh ha- it reflects key moments in that history too. So so you know that just even this moment of translation, considering the man that translated it and what was going on in the time and some of the language in the song, it all kind of connects. So, I mean, we'll probably get into that, I think, as we go through the lyrics. All right, Colin, let's take a look at the lyrics. Creator of the stars of night, thy people's everlasting light. O Christ, Redeemer of us all, we pray you hear us Creator of the stars of night, your people's everlasting light, O Christ, Redeemer of us all, we pray you, hear us. We pray you, hear us when we call. All right. So we've got an Adventish line. It's not surprising that this song is sung around this season because we have this idea of Christ. Uh, We have the stars of night, which you could describe many things to Christ as creator, many different aspects of creation, but the stars of night just sets the tone for thinking about the shepherds. I don't know whether that's on purpose or not, but it seems to work. And then we have uh, the everlasting light, which again, reminds us of the Christmas time, the Advent time, and then we're the, the kind of calling out to to Christ. I like that this verse acknowledges Christ as both creator and redeemer. It's 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 true. It's strong. I wonder Tyler what you think about 
the last two lines, so redeemer of us all, it depends on who the us is for me. I mean, if us all is everyone in the world, we have something at least quasi-universalist here, which is a problem for both of us, I know, being Orthodox Christians. Um, Orthodox with a lowercase o. And uh, then I also wonder about, we pray you hear us when we call. There are a couple different ways we could think about this too. I would interpret the us in light of, well, uh, what came before it and what follows it, especially what follows it. But what came before it, we have this mention of Christ being your people's everlasting light. So there's an implication that the us all is his people. And then following that, um, we pray you hear us when we call. There's this implication that uh, this first person plural pronoun, we, or its its objective form, us, uh, is calling upon Christ and is praying to Christ. So uh, I don't have any issue with it saying Redeemer of us all if there's some implication that that is not you know, yeah. it, it's not redeemer of all, right? It's redeemer of us all. You're right. Thy people, I think, makes that clear. But okay, so if if it's thy people, we pray you hear us when we call. Well, obviously Christ would if it's his own people, right? Yeah. So in looking at this, I, I kind of interpreted this in light of some of the Psalms. So uh, I just have a few here. Um, Psalm 4 has verbiage answer me when i call psalm 27 says hear me when i cry out or cry aloud psalm 30 says hear me psalm 119 psalm 143 these all include these uh imperatives that the psalmist says to god hear me or answer me and so i i don't have any issue if a song says you know yes i know that you will you promise that you will hear me but i'm gonna say it because maybe it's good for me I'm gonna ask you to yeah, anyway it's good okay. for me to yeah. you know acknowledge that i need you to hear me as well yeah okay. now what about the first lines? yeah so I, the first two i i think it's interesting um because this is an advent song i think people might might go the route of interpreting this in light of advent i interpreted this in uh just my mind just went to different places. I guess I wasn't initially thinking of the Advent story. So the first place my mind went was Genesis one creator, of the stars of night, uh, obviously because of creation narrative. But then in verse 16 of that chapter, it says, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And so I just thought, okay, so we have Genesis one here explicitly mentioned the, the stars, but then we have these lights that, provide light for the day and the night the sun and then the moon and the stars and then in revelation we learn in chapter 21 that there is no more need for the sun so in verse 23 of that chapter uh the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of god gives it light and its lamp is the lamb and i think that regularly brings it full circle where we have the the, the sun and the moon and these are created but they're created for a time and for a time only and that that starts in genesis 1 and in revelation 21 uh the lamb christ is the light of the city of the new jerusalem and so i just thought those two lines might be bringing that whole idea full circle that was that's where I, that's where my mind went okay yeah it makes sense because he's the everlasting light right i like in a mm -hmm. 
in a physical sense, the sun will, you know, the sun only has so much, uh, helium <laughs> and, uh, so that's good. And then we have, come, oh, come, come, oh, come, come, oh, come. come, oh, come to us as a kind of refrain that uh, High Street Hymns has added to this song. It's nice. And again, it gives it that gives it that Advent flavor. Yes, it reminds me of "Come, Come Emmanuel" or uh, "Come Thou Long Expected Jesus." These songs that they're reflecting on Christ's first coming, and then they appeal to Him to come. And it always it, it always makes you wonder: Are they appealing for Him to come? You know, His second coming, or are they experiencing the? Or, or seeking to experience the longing for Christ to come that his people experienced before his first coming. Yeah, probably both. I mean, that's that's kind of the whole that's the whole thing, right? That's the Advent thing. That's the Advent thing. All right. Then we have. Okay, we're gonna have to skip some verses here from the original, yeah, in the original. text because yeah. the next verse in the High Street Hymns text is. When earth drew on to darkest night, you came, but not in splendor bright, not as a monarch, but the child of Mary, blameless mother mild. So as you might, you might guess, the last line that you read was the one that caused me to suddenly pay attention when we were driving in the car, but I guess I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. So I guess this is the idea of of a period of darkness, maybe in the sense that, you know, the silence in the scriptures for a period of time before Christ came, you know, maybe it's the hardships of God's people. Uh, I don't know, you know, but but either way, it's it's obviously a dark time. The Advent season is kind of meant to be thought of as a time of darkness until the Christ comes. And then we've got Christ coming, not as a monarch, but the child, which is great because it references the expectations that many people had for the Jewish Messiah. But in fact, what Scripture clearly said, if you if you now look back through Christ, it's like, oh yeah, okay, well he he actually wasn't going to come at first as a as a king. He is the king, and he will come as the king. But his his initial coming was as a child. But then this last, well, maybe. What do you think of all that, Tyler? Let me go ask you that before we get to the last. Yeah. Line. So when I saw when Earth drew on to darkest night, I thought of Isaiah nine: the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And I thought that's where the song was going. But then the next verse is, "You came not in splendor bright," and so it's like, well, okay. In Isaiah nine, a light shines upon a people who walked in darkness. But this seems to be saying uh, Christ's first coming is not in splendor bright. And uh, it's true for sure that uh, Christ comes as a child uh, in very, very humble circumstances, to probably put it really mildly. Although maybe you're right, it, it does kind of mix the it, – it mixes up the scriptural reference, if that was indeed the intent. It also mixes a little bit 
up than the metaphor that we have in verse one, which is Christ is the people's everlasting light. That's true. But, you know. Yeah. But presumably splendor bright, that doesn't have to be light. Splendor could be, you know, that you got the idea of resplendent. So, you know, almost like uh, not fanfare, but like uh, ceremony or um, affectations or something maybe. I think that's what the line following that is kind of implying. He didn't, he didn't yeah, come as exactly. this, you know, monarch marching in, you know. Yeah, with like trumpets, you know, et cetera. And in fact, yeah. even when he does ultimately march on Jerusalem, it's on the back of a donkey, you know. It's yeah. not right. Not, uh, not what the world expects of kings. All right, well, let's talk about those lines. Uh, not as a monarch, but the child of Mary... And they've changed the word, right? They've changed the word yes. virgin to blameless, uh, mother mild. Great. I'm glad you noticed that too. And I'm so I didn't and read this. They also changed king to monarch as well, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So I couldn't actually find a, ver- a version of this song where Mary was blameless. That's, and again, I don't want to make accusations. I couldn't find that anywhere. Uh, what I found was. Um, so like, if you look at other hymnals, sometimes, by the way, in some of these versions, there's no, um, there's no line like this whatsoever. Like Mary isn't mentioned exactly in this way. Um, so there's a version in the hymnal Common Praise 1998, which talks about from a maiden mother's womb, there is... A recent version in 2021 in Christian worship hymnal, which says, not as a king, but the child of Mary, virgin, mother, mild. Uh, I've seen versions of this where instead of blameless, the word is faithful. And I'm trying to remember which one. That may have been an Anglican hymnal, in fact. Hmm. And in the original uh translation as far as i can tell the uh, neil's translation again nothing nothing like this did i see the closest thing is the third verse which his third verse is thou camest the bridegroom of the bride as drew the world to evening tide proceeding from a virgin shrine the spotless victim all divine so that that has a lot of similarities to what we read in the High Street Hymns version, but it just talks about the Virgin's shrine, which I think is actually a way to say her womb, and I'll justify that from the Latin. Um, and we have what's there is there is a blamelessness or a spotlessness, but the spotlessness is Christ. So it says, proceeding from a virgin shrine, the spotless victim, all divine. That's Christ. That's Christ who is going to be the the sacrifice. Uh, I don't think that's saying that Mary is the spotless victim, all divine. The Latin, the original Latin has a very similar uh, kind of language to this. The translation would be roughly something like, at the turning of the world as a bridegroom from the the inner room or like the, the chamber, he went out with honor he came he came fr- he came f- forth or came from with with honor from the like the passage 
or the the threshold or something something like that of the of the virgin mother which i think is also implying her her womb so it's pretty similar to the neil translation doesn't have anything in here about mary being blameless which i have to say i, I presume that is what's being said that Mary is blameless in the, in the High Street Hymns version. Yes, Tyler, there's no other way to interpret that, right? Yeah, and I notice I have looked at some other um, translations of it, and I wonder if that is from Pope uh, Urban VIII. I'm going to look this up, uh, what he has for this third verse. Now, Evergini Sacrario, so the shrine. He he also calls uh, Christ untouched or pure victim, intacta protis victima. Yeah, I'm not sure where the where the blameless originally comes from. Uh, it seems like a strange thing for an Anglican group to throw that in there, because it's it's clearly immaculate conception type stuff, which is you know overtly Catholic. It's, it seems like there must be more to it than what we have, but there's no way. I have found no way to know why blameless is there. So I mean, maybe the high street hymns people, there's a version of it that we're unable to notice or see that they know about because, you know, they've got access to different material, obviously than we have. And maybe some hymn book that they were using has the word blameless, but I, I cannot find another version with the word blameless. I can't find it, which, you know, that's that doesn't mean anything. I'm just looking on the internet. I mean, what do I know? But yeah, I think it's just a. I think it's a euphemism for virgin. Not a good one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a really bad choice of words. I, but I think if I if I look at this this version that was revised by by Pope Urban the Eighth, uh, intacta is used to describe the. Uh, the virgin's sanctum uh, shrine. Yeah, unspoiled. Yeah. So intact. It it seems like a a euphemism, but uh, but that's not you can't you can't get blameless from that. No, and I think the other thing is um, intacta is feminine and uh, um, sacrario is masculine. So intacta has to be modifying victima. So it is the spotless victim it is or the the intact victim the uh, undefiled victim. So so th- let me just say, though, okay, so we've established this. So this is a big problem. <laughs> this is, in my view, a big problem. Uh, I don't think, if this indeed means, and it looks very clearly like it means Mary is blameless, not just that she's a virgin, but that she's blame. That is, that, that's a non-starter for me, certainly. There are lots of other words that could be used if the intention behind that is to say that she was a virgin. The blamelessness here should be attributed to the lamb and uh, not his mother, uh, who no doubt was uh, a remarkable woman, as we have recorded in scripture when, you know, when she's told that she's going to be part of God's plan for salvation and she basically bursts out in a glorious song of praise. Right. Well, in the same way that the Worship Review gave its stamp of approval recently to Martin Luther, we also have deemed Mary, the mother of Jesus, what do we call her, Tyler? A remarkable woman. So you heard it here, folks. <laughs> Mary is just all right with us. She's okay. She's great. I just don't want to stray Approved. so far from uh, venerating Mary that I would, you know, 
ever denigrate her, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, well, there's really nothing else in the official lyrics, right, not, Tyler? Yeah, not in, in, in this of, version. Of this version. But there's a lot. There, it's just what amazes me is with all of the different versions of this song, there are some pretty good verses that exist throughout recent, I don't know, even the last century or so of of this song that, that could have been used. I, I don't understand why that was the the one that was used, why that verse. I mean, uh, this is, uh, from what I can tell, this is Neil's translation. This is his second verse. Thou grieving that the ancient curse should doom to death a universe hast found the medicine full of grace to save and heal a ruined race. So Christ is going to come with his grace and heal a doomed, a universe doomed to death. Uh, at whose dread name, the majestic now, all knees must bend, all hearts must bow, and things celestial thee shall own, and things terrestrial, Lord alone, O thou whose coming is with dread to judge and doom the quick and the dead, preserve us while we dwell below from every insult of the foe. To God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, three in one, laud, honor, might, and glory be from age to age eternally. This is really good stuff. Yeah, it is. For the most it part. It is. And uh, tune into last week's episode for discussion of the verb own. Uh and what that oh, means yeah, when good. things celestial uh, shall own him. Um, yeah, I, I noticed that now. I, I, I actually really love a lot of those lyrics that unfortunately did not make it into this version. We're having so many conversations about Mary, but it, it's hard not to notice that uh, that Neil himself was, uh, you know, interested in, in reforming the Anglican Church to be more more Roman Catholic or, or the Church of England to be more Roman Catholic uh, or more like uh, pre-Reformation churches. Uh, and so the, the phrase full of grace, I can't imagine is an accident, right? Because that's the, that's the second part of the hail, the second, uh, the, the hail Mary begins with hail Mary full of grace. And I, I just wonder if that is, is if he's hinting at that, or if that's just a coincidence, the medicine full of grace, I don't know. It's kind of a shame because after what's been removed, there are two verses and that refrain, come, oh, come to us. And the first verse uh, identifies Christ as the Redeemer, identifies him as the Creator, identifies him as the light of his people, and then appeals to him to hear his people when they call, and then describes the first coming of Christ. Uh, in darkest night uh, as a child instead of as a monarch and by the Virgin Mary. But that's really it in that version, which is, it's not a bad, it's not a bad text at all, but it's hard. Now that you know what was in the other versions of it, it's hard not to wonder why that stuff didn't make it in. Well, Colin, any other thoughts on this song? Not really. Uh, I like quite a bit of it for what it is. The two verses and the chorus, I think it's mostly nice. That line is just not acceptable. So, it, you know, that 
for me that does sync the song, as I have been wont to say sometimes on this podcast. Um, so yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a shame. You, you know, to change the word. If I were to, if I were looking for Advent songs, I might change that word to yeah, what what one Anglican hymnal uses, faithful. You know, make it something else, virgin, whatever. And then it's a perfectly, perfectly good song. I mean, there are better Advent songs, but it's not bad. It's, it's, you know, if, if I was, if I was like the High Street Hymns people and was kind of looking for a, you know, neat little song to, to redo in a simple way, just like they did, I'd pick this song. I just would use a different word on that last line. I would say you don't have to use this verse. You could actually use one of the verses that he originally translated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I could add in more. And, uh, second of all, yeah, you don't have to use the word blameless for the virgin because uh, it seems like the original text used that to describe the uh, sacrificial victim, uh, Christ himself. So I think Virgin Mary is much better than blameless Mary. Um, and it it remarks that the power – that hints obviously at the power of God in uh, in this whole situation. So what did you give it, Colin? I give it – Two out of five indelible graces. So uh, indelible grace because just the whole style of this song, everything about it reminds me of indelible grace. Tyler, what about you? Before I answer, what would you give it if you changed the word virgin, if you changed the word blameless to virgin? Four out of five. That's funny because that's exactly what I was going to say. I would say I would give this a four out of five if the word blameless were changed and virgin inserted in its place. But as it stands, yeah, it's a good question. It's, uh, it's probably a two out of five song. It's got a lot of stuff, but it, as, as the text stands, it's not something that you can sing. I think. Can, can I say, I was just looking at the, uh, the YouTube video creator of the stars of night high street hymns. And there's some comments on there. <laughs> and <laughs> there's this guy who three years ago decided to say, it's a shame to take such a wonderful hymn and ruin it with horrible music. And oh, I, <laughs> and I and I and, uh, and I thought like what I don't know what's wrong with the music. I, I don't know. It's kind of nice, like a good little guitar. It's it sounds good. And then somebody says, "This is kind of funny." This YouTube drama is kind of funny. Then someone says, "Wow, looks like someone here really needs Jesus," which is also kind of a funny comment. It's a passive aggressive comment. Yeah, well, yeah, and also like, okay, somebody doesn't like the music, that doesn't mean they need Jesus. Like, might might be a Christian. Then, they, then, they, then they, these two people, uh, these people go go back and forth. Uh, <laughs> well, everyone needs Jesus, so. I don't even know what that person uh, that's, was that's actually That's actually what the guy says. That's what oh, the guy really? says in response. He says, we all need Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We, that guy, it, we can do nothing ourselves. The, the hymn is one of the oldest Christian hymns. Absolutely beautiful words. Why make it comical? I don't know why comical. he thinks this is comical. Um, oh, he oh he doesn't like the come o come. Oh, okay. He, he, finds that, uh, he finds that repetition a bit goofy. Oh, and then he posts the original... Uh, well, he posts some 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 alternative words. I don't think these come from the original, but yet another set of older words, which incidentally say, when earth was near its evening hour, thou didst in love's redeeming power, like a bridegroom from his chamber come, forth from a virgin mother's womb. So thanks to uh, John 
Marquardt of YouTube. Oh, the YouTube in comments in the comments. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what that's where all this is coming from. Glorious YouTube comments. So this is what our podcast has devolved into: is commenting on <laughs> YouTube comments. Well, I, yeah. So I will give it uh, as it stands: two out of five doxologies because this was. Uh, I noticed that this was erroneously attributed to Ambrose. We've done uh, him by Ambrose before. Uh, and it also included a doxology like this one has, which was very explicitly Trinitarian. Uh, and if you change the word blameless to virgin, I would give this, uh, I think I would give this a five out of five. Uh, oh, you're doing that just to be different. Why five? Why not? Why not four? Why would I be wrong to give it a four? I didn't say you would be Isn't wrong. That awesome? Your four might no, be my it- five. Uh, it's, I mean, it's just incredible. If, if, if all right, if, uh, okay, let me just make this clear. If you change the word virgin, if you change the word blameless to virgin, but you don't add any other verses, then it's a four. Yes. If you change the there word blameless to virgin and you add in the verse about every knee shall bow at his dread name, uh, well, then well, yeah, it's a then five. I'm with you. Sure. <laughs> okay, sure. I'm with you on that. So that's what I but mean. But the, the song, the, the two verses with come, O come, even if you change blameless that, that's not quite. That's not. That's not on the level of in Christ alone. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's just. I, I think t- it, this is kind of illuminating for the listeners because you can see how much of a difference one single little word can make in a rating, and it's kind of like a boat. Like I, I, maybe that's a good reason why people are like, "Why are you yes. guys so harsh?" It's like, well, if if your boat is fine except one plank leaks. Then the whole boat is not good. Sorry, <laughs> you know exactly. What I mean? <laughs> and that I like actually. I really appreciate the boat analogy because when I say that sink the song thing, that I not, I wasn't thinking about a boat, but that is exact. That is exactly it. Your boat is ninety nine percent without holes in it. Big whoop. <laughs> the one percent is going to sink your boat. Yeah. Now you can so like so like let's take this analogy further for a second. So like uh what a 3 is like a boat but it's like a it's like barely floatable. It's like a boat that is uh is like made out of uh I don't know reeds or something. Yeah, but at the right? very least it's it's air it's but watertight, it right? Yeah. It floats. And a 2 has a hole in it but is otherwise a nice boat, but it it's going to it's you know it's it's going to it's going to go underwater. And what a one is a one is, is made uh, of iron. A lily pad. A one is a boat. Okay. <laughs> that, <laughs> a one is a an anchor with a flag a on top of it. A boat that is made out of iron and looks like an upside down T. <laughs> Otherwise known as an anchor. Whatever floats your boat, Colin. Well, listeners, thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Worship Review. Uh, we look forward to joining you again next week, and we will re- <laughs> maybe. Well, maybe rhymes with baby. You, maybe you're going to be the one that saves me. <laughs> and maybe one, maybe one of us won't have time for a podcast next week. Oh, we'll see. I see. I see. Colin is referring to the fact that uh, I should be a dad in the next couple of weeks again. That, that's a weird way of putting it. Expecting another yeah, baby in the next couple of weeks. That's not a weird way of putting it. <laughs> uh. All right. Uh, listeners, thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode and, uh, hopefully we will catch you next week, but also hopefully not because I might for have a baby. Sake, hopefully not. Well, yes. Yeah. yeah, definitely for her sake. 
So if there is a podcast next week, pray for Tyler's wife. Yeah. And for me, but more for her. All right. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to the worship review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at Anchor FM slash The Worship Review and Patreon.com slash The Worship Review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.